Hello. I am Marissa, a teen librarian. I am Mary, a sometimes teen librarian, depending on the day. And we are here to talk about books. What kind of books? Young adult, middle grade, graphic novels, audiobooks, LGBTQ+, and more. Come jam with us. On the book jam. <laughs> so you should totally follow us on our social media accounts. We have a Twitter account, the Book Jam One, and our Instagram, which is new, uh, where we we don't we don't spam you with posts, but we do post when we update, and you'll always see the book covers on our Insta. Um, it is also the Book Jam One. Uh, so please follow us, give us a like, tell us what you want to see, what you want to hear. Um, yeah. So Marissa, do you want to talk about? We are going to do a format change starting today. Yeah, we're always ready to shake it up. Why not? It's spring. Things are budding. Why not? You got short attention spans. Let's do a little bit shorter episodes because you got places to go. Vaccines are getting out. Why not? Quick, our format changes. We're going to cover two books now instead of four. Uh, We think that might be a little bit easier for everybody, uh, our listeners and us included with our workflow. Uh, So please bear with us. Uh, If you have disagreements with that, uh, just let us know. But we think this will be better. So Mary and I, as you know, love to talk about LGBTQ books. Um, I read a really good article um, from Book Riot the other week. It's by Danica Ellis. It came out March 22nd. It's called Do Queer Books Still Need Happy Endings? Check it out. Super recommend it. We can talk about it on Twitter, Instagram. Um, and it explored the idea of, do we need happy endings for queer books? Do it, does it need to be fluffy endings? Does it need to be a hard, sad ending like sometimes in the past? And it also went really good into the past of queer books. And that's a really good lead into uh, Mary's first book. So Mary, what was your first book? I am a big fan of Melinda Lowe, and this is Melinda Lowe's newest book, Last Night at the Telegraph Club. I was waiting to get this book when it came out, came out in February, and like I was like, why is it not showing up? Because I think we all know our book vendors have been slow with shipping. Every time any type of like YA box came in for us at our library, I was like, is it here? Is it here? Is it here? And my coworker was like, calm down. And I have been excited to read this. I think I've read pretty much everything she's written, and I am an older queer because I'm an 80s kid. So I remember reading her uh, when she wrote for the After Ellen website, which is like the precursor to Autostraddle. So it was a it was a website all devoted to like lesbian and bi culture. And now we have Autostraddle, which is more inclusive because it also includes like non-binary and uh, trans identities. So uh, I remember her before that. And then she published Ash and I was like, yes, I'm a huge Melinda Lowe fan. So I think she's just the tops. Yeah, so I read her new one, which is called Last Night at the Telegraph Club, just to go over our our format notes that we usually talk about. So, Grade of Intended Reader, this book is for high school, definitely. It's pu- So, it was published this past February in 2021. It is a Dutton Books, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. Content warnings are going to be homophobia, obviously, because it's 1954. Um, racism with microaggressions, because, you know, things are pretty stable for Lily when she's in Chinatown. But whenever she benches out, like white people say stupid stuff all the time. And then there also is like some drinking and, of course, like a little bit of sex, because it's, this is an, a sexual awakening identity book. Um, yay, LGBT. Um, so book description, just going off the cover. That book, it was about two women and they fell in love with each other. And then Lily asked the question that had taken root in her. That was even now unfurling its leaves and demanding to be shown the sun. Have you ever heard of such a thing? 
17-year-old Lily Hugh can't remember exactly when the question took root, but the answer was in full bloom the moment she and Kathleen Miller walked under the flashing neon sign of a lesbian bar called the Telegraph Club. America in 1954 is not a safe place for two girls to fall in love, especially not in Chinatown. Red Scare paranoia threatens everyone, including Chinese-Americans like Lily. With deportation looming over her father, despite her his hard-won citizenship, Lily and Kath risk everything to let their love see the light of day. This book is so good. It's so intersectional. When I say intersectional, you know, there are like YA issue book writer people or authors that do like, we're just going to talk about this one issue. They're usually kind of white centric as well. So they don't really take us into account of anything else. This is intersectional. So we have like Chinese American history intersecting with queer identities, intersecting with like political ideologies as well. Also class you know, in race, well, oh, I already said red race because we're talking about Chinese Americans. Class also comes into this as well between Lily and some of her Chinatown friends. So, what I love about this book, just kind of jumping in. So, Linda Lowe's dedication to this in this book is amazing. Um, I just love it because it's just it's so great. It's dedicated to all the butches and femmes, past, present, and future. Um, it's so great. Oh. And um, I also really love the format of this book, too. I know I, I talk a little more, I think, about structural components of books than you do, because you're always just like, feelings! And I'll, I'll get there. But yeah. <laughs> but so she has timelines in it. And so sometimes, like, when I was first starting to read it, because I have, like, a cursory knowledge of American history and also um, some some uh asian history stuff just because i worked on an archival collection that dealt with a lot of um east asian countries at one point very cool yes so at the same time it kind of muddies for me so she has this mm. great timeline you can follow and so some of these things that are happening are in like the personal lives of our characters that we meet but then also mm. some of the things are like you know not under that microscope they're more of like here's what's happening in the u.s here's what's happening in china kind of thing oh for example the first blip on our timeline is 1950 senator joseph mccarthy produces a list of alleged communism working in the state department setting the stage for this is going to be like a cold war red scare book so but in bold is always the family stuff um so it is kind of cool too because you don't get everything from lily's perspective uh you get a flashback chapter at one point where you get when her parents first met and her mom is um, Chinese-American from Santa Barbara. And she's in San Francisco because she's um, studying to be a nurse. And so she's she's doing all that. And then <laughs> she meets at the Presbyterian Church. She meets her soon-to-be husband. He's over here from Shanghai. And he's studying to be a doctor. And he's hoping to train and then go back to China and be a doctor there and also train other Chinese uh, students in, in medical whatnot. That's his whole thing. They meet and they hit it off and she sees like being with him. Like it's it's just like this aspirational thing. When they do get married, she marries up because she's from like a more working class Chinatown family. Like her parents um, own a store. Her dad is dead. It's just her mom and her brothers run the store now. And so she got out and she doesn't want to go back to that life. Um, so okay. nursing was Respect a way to that. do that. Right. So that parallels yeah. with Lily. So we meet Lily and Lily's not like all the other girls in Chinatown. She's really into math. Her Aunt Judy, which is her dad's sister that was able to come over, okay. actually is a computer at the Jet Propulsion Lab. And so she's been really encouraging Lily in her studies and also like, you know, it was like, oh, have you read the science fiction book? And so they're always trading science fiction books and articles and whatnot back and forth. She's just a dreamer. Like she dreams about like going to Mars and going to the moon. 
And like, do you think we'll ever get there? Um, like there's a great chapter where her aunt takes her, her aunt and uncle take her to the planetarium because her uncle also works at the jet propulsion lab too. Very cool. Yeah. So it's really cool because like, this is the other side. So if like you heard or you've read or you've watched hidden figures, that's the, like the East coast African-American women who were the computers mm-hmm. that didn't really, you didn't hear about where on the West coast, we did have women that were also working at the jet propulsion lab that we had a, a book came out about the same time called rocket girls and melinda Lowe actually talks about that in her book list um and i'll get okay. to that in a second so lily has all this like, great structure but at the same time there's still this pressure of like you got to go to church you got to be a good chinese american girl you have to be a, a good, good, girl. good daughter um you know these are the things you have to do um you have to take care of the family and like you get like these like gender roles that are kind of pushed on her like when they go clothes shopping and she doesn't want the shirts with the Peter Pan collars and stuff. Like she sees like this, I think it's like some type of blazer jacket stuff that's more like masculine. And she's like, what is this? Like, I want to try this on. And then also she sees an ad for a male impersonator, what we call today Sanders, a drag king. Um, yeah. Tommy Andrews that's playing at the telegraph club. And she's just like, so taken by this, by this person because it's like, it's clearly it's a woman dressed as a man and she's just never really, she's like, what the heck? This is like so interesting. And then she finds a pulp novel at the drugstore when she's looking for science fiction books that she sometimes goes to this drugstore before she has to pick her brother up from school. So uh, she finds it and she's like, oh my God, I shouldn't be reading this. I want to keep reading this. Um, but she's trying to like read it and like not be obvious. Like, I think we all had that experience as a kid where you're reading something and you're trying not to be noticed that you're reading because you know you're not supposed to be reading exactly. it. Exactly. But you, you can't stop yourself. <laughs> So, and there's all these tensions with her too, because like she wants these things that like traditional girls in her neighborhood don't want, right? Most yes. girls in her neighborhood, like her best friend, Shirley, who's really pushy and demanding. Um, mm. She's kind of like the Regina George of Chinatown. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so they've been best friends forever and Lily's just kind of gone along with it. But like, she's like, tries to push her to dating this boy and Lily's like I don't want to date him and just all of these like things to be like no I don't want to date him yeah like boys are gross oh but she can't sending messages (laughs) yeah exactly and Shirley's just like why are you being so weird and she's like I don't know why are you being weird stop it oh feelings are so hard I know it's so hard um and so she's trying to struggle with all this but then throughout all this there's a girl in her math class that she starts talking to and they're the only two girls in advanced math class and her name is Kathleen and it turns out that Kath as she likes to be called by her friends, has gone to the Telegraph Club with Tommy Andrews. And somehow it comes out. And so they start hanging out more, which Shirley gets mad about because Shirley's like, you're my friend. You're supposed to do what I want. And she's like, do I? Like Lily starts standing up for herself. Right. Yeah. And so they figure out how to go to the Telegraph Club and she gets a fake ID and they go there and they get to see Tommy Andrews. And Lily like actually meets Tommy when he she comes out of the dressing room while she's waiting to go to the bathroom. And like... Yes. Tommy Andrews says like something I think she calls her China doll, which is like yeah, that's a very not cool term. But yeah. it's also 1954. Yeah. And Tommy Andrews is like white. Um yeah. so like yes. Um yeah. like, <laughs> so one of the things you have to remember about with historical fiction is like sometimes you're gonna read stuff that you're like, what? Yes. Because the writer is writing what would have happened at that time. At the time, yes. Yes. Yeah. It's hard to be PC in historical fiction unless you're not trying to be accurate. Right. So one of the other things I really liked about this book is that Melinda Lowe includes Chinese characters. So like when... And I, I don't mean like Chinese, obviously Chinese characters because we have Chinese American like actual characters. I'm talking about like written characters. Mm-hmm. So we see this a lot in books that include Spanish. For example... um, 
whoa, shoot, what was it called? Uh, oh, Marcus Vega doesn't speak Spanish, and um, like a couple of other like books that we have, we have from like um, Latinx authors that they include Spanish language with it, right? Um, so I thought it was really cool that she includes Chinese language in here, and then you get an asterisk at the bottom, a little footnote that tells you what they said. Um, and also, okay, cool. it's a new, it's a different way of showing you, like, like for example, when the 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 parents first meet, and the dad is talking to the mom, and she says something and then her he's like i'm sorry i didn't catch your dialect so it actually kind of shows you because you know a lot of people it's just like the whole white assumption that china is just one big country and that they're all yeah, the same spanish is just spanish right <laughs> dialect right whereas <laughs> like you know in china we have like several different dialects like there's mandarin there's cantonese there's yeah. like all this stuff and like you know in this like it's stupid to assume that everybody has the same like dialect mm-hmm. and like language and whatnot and languages evolve regionally too like even on like just like the the slightest scale like new england slang is different from southern slang is different from midwest <laughs> is different from california it's different from like you know it's a whole thing people and are people get insulted if you're like i'm sorry you think i'm southern or i'm sorry you think i'm midwestern like yeah so Exactly. Yeah, so regionalisms exist all over the world is what I'm trying to say. And like, exactly. like it's yeah. So I love how she like does that with like nuance of like the, the differentiations between people. And it's really cool. Yeah, so they start going to the telegraph club and so she starts having like this awakening and she and Catholics like, start hanging out more and it's so cute because like they like each other but they don't they don't have like 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 LGBTs now have so much language to describe how they feel towards other people or how they feel about themselves like we have so many new terms and like this is a time where you don't have that and so lily's just like all i know is that like kath makes my heart beat faster and like i you know it's just all these things and like everything is just so much like alive when i'm with her kind of and i'm paraphrasing linda Lowe like writes it beautifully like so good like everybody should read this book it's so good But yeah, so we have this cross section of like, I'm supposed to be this, but I'm actually, I want to be this. And I, this is who I love. And this is what I want to do. And I don't want to get into the spoilers of the book because I really want people to read it. But it's such a good historical fiction. I'm just really happy also to see historical fiction that is not white or European centered. Well, World War II in a kind way. Yeah. So like, with, this isn't like a World War II book. This is a Cold War book right and the cold war like we do have cold war historical fiction and cold war lasted for like 40 50 years <laughs> but it lasts a lot longer than say like world war ii and there's a lot of different like each decade has a different like flavor to it right. so it's pretty cool really love it like everything that linda Lowe talks about and like i also like remember being a baby queer and going to like my, my first gay club and it's like this whole thing where like everything is so like oh my gosh i can't believe i'm here i'm doing all this stuff oh my gosh i don't know what to do so i'm just gonna like close in on myself she, like lily is so overwhelmed the first time she goes to the telegraph club and it's so good but also melinda Lode makes a point to illustrate that like she's like one of the few asian american people in the club i think there might be like one other at one point but usually okay. it's just her and so there's this otherness so like she has this otherness when she's in china, her chinatown neighborhood she has this otherness when she's outside of her chinatown neighborhood and she's constantly like I don't fit into any of these things. I just mm. want to be myself. So I think everybody should read it. Uh, also, it has a great historical note in the back. Linda Lowe, she does a great author's note about the inspiration for this book. If you have read All Out, which is the anthology that is queer historical yeah. fiction through the ages, the mm-hmm. um, kind of like like germination of this book is actually a short story she wrote in that one, which everybody should read All Out because it's great. It's an awesome, awesome collection. 
It can help you find new favorite authors too. I know sometimes teens struggle with like a short story anthology because they're like, I want one story. But if you want to pick up something before bed or like if you're a pick up put downer, that can really help you read a book. Yeah. And so she talks about like the inspiration for it and the rise of the rocket girls, the women who propelled us from missiles to the moon to the Mars, the book I kind of talked about earlier, like Mm -hmm. that Lily's character is actually inspired by a real life person from that book which I thought was pretty cool. And then also there's another book called Wide Open Town, A History of Queer San Francisco to, to 1965. Um, That's also something she uses a reference. And there's also a larger bibliography after the author's note. So these are, but these are like the two that kind of like, I think helped with the framework for a lot of the stuff. Um, but she, she has a whole section on language, which is pretty cool because she talks about like the specific Chinese characters she uses versus the ones that are more modern day, but the, that the modern day ones hadn't happened yet. And then she talks about the 1950s because there is this whole hanging over Lily, the fact that, side note, she and Shirley, Shirley dragged her to a college, there's some organization, but it turns out maybe some of the students have ties to like a communist club. And so the FBI has them under investigation. And one of the people in question was actually a patient of her father's at the hospital and the FBI were asking questions to her father and he refused to inform on him because of um, just like his medical ethics. He's like, no, and also I'm American. He did get, become a naturalized citizen because he fought in World War II and that gave okay. that granted him citizenship. He's like, I don't understand. Like I, I've done, I've, you know, I gave my life for my country kind of thing. I, I went to war for you and you're treating me like this. They take his papers away um, and with the threat of deportation. And there's also, real. Yeah, it's totally real. And there's also some interesting things that, that um, her Aunt Judy's husband brings up. Why is it there is a German scientist that was a Nazi that is brought over under Operation Paperclip mm-hmm. in which the, do you know about Operation Paperclip? the german scientists that come over here to like do stuff a lot of german scientists came over here to do things yeah so they were they came over they were they were nazis that were taken out it was this whole secret mission and their families too basically to advance our space race and other scientific endeavors which of course becomes really important in the cold war aunt judy's husband is like why is it it's okay for him to like be here but there is a chinese american scientist who's working at the jet propulsion lab who actually um, ends up in real life getting de- deported, which is so stupid because he, China gladly takes him back. Um, yeah. And I think, I think actually he's was actually born an American citizen. Yeah. So they deport him to China and then he ends up becoming the father of like missile technology in China. And it's just like, oh man, like you had this great mind and you let racism be more important to you than science yeah and it's just like and and humanity essentially it's just why why is america so bad at this so yeah she talks about the 1950s and gives you more of like a framework for that as well as san francisco and chinatown and chinese americans which kind of gets into the whole class structure um because lily's best friend is her parents own a chinese restaurant and so she's just expected to work at the chinese restaurant until she gets married so there is this intersection of class because uh, Shirley is like, oh, but you're going to go to college. Like, no one expects me to go to college. And Lily's like, well, why wouldn't you go to college? You can go to college because like for Lily, she has a, just a little bit more privilege. And she sometimes forgets that, I think, until Shirley reminds her of it. And then the last thing she does talk about is lesbians, gender and community, which is pretty cool. Because one of the things mm-hmm. she does come up is like she could not find really any 
history of like queer Chinese Americans at that point in time. There's no recorded history. It doesn't mean they didn't exist. Okay. It just means they no. were recorded in the record. Um, and the, yes. the historical record often tends to be white centric. We do know that. Correct. And she also talks about some of the terminologies. There are some things that are used that like are not kosher today, like mm-hmm. calling uh, Asian Americans Orientals. Like we don't yeah. do that. That is bad. But in the 1950s, that is the common term. Um, it's not until the civil rights movement till we get Asian American. Um, so this was, yes, this is a great book to like learn a lot more about stuff you don't know about, but also it's just a great book because it has so much heart and so much feeling and it's so rooted in its time and it is, so, but it transcends at the same time. It's so amazingly good. This book, I guarantee you, Marissa, is going to be on the ALA Rainbow list. I guarantee okay. you it will be nominated for next year's Lambda Awards. And I wouldn't be surprised if it picks up a couple others too. I will say, um, this is a book that when I heard it was coming out, I was like, I want it, I need it. And I actually was able to get a digital art copy of it. But that's a good, bad thing about digital um, ebooks of Idolize and NetGalley is that unless it's like a physical book in my face, it's very hard for me to like, to remember, oh yes, I have that. I need that. Even if it's like, oh my God, the next biggest thing. So I still have it. And I do have the balance workbooks with fun books. Um, so no, I love that you've, beautifully talked about it so much it's going to move to the higher stack of my fun to read uh digital books so i've read melinda Lowe. i read ash way back in the day before i knew she was a queer author i was like what is this because i love a good fairy tale retelling and i was like and i didn't know what to expect when i picked it up when i worked at book barnes and noble back in the day and i was like what is this and again i think also her other book adaptation the more sci-fi kind of fun. The cover, I was like the girl with the green tint and like the half submerged face. I was like, oh, hey, I'll f- here for it. No, sorry. I love that, first of all, that we're covering historical fiction, but not covering the usual beat of World War II. Because it's very, it's done. People do it beautifully. But I, I, like, I just read uh, Jennifer E. Nielsen's Rescue, um, which is lovely. And about uh, World War II, French resistance, and code breaking, but it feels more fresh to have a different. Like I know history happens around the world. History has been happening since World War II, outside and beyond. So it's good to get those those things. I have one teen that loves the weight of our sky, uh, which I don't think we've officially talked about on this one. No, have we you, we haven't talked about that one. That one is intense yes um very good uh i know oh yeah you you did read it though because we we read it for a thing that we've done um yeah the weight of our sky by hannah alkoff is in i can only really describe it in like intense is one word but it was 1969 may 13th racial tensions and i think it was kuala lumpur malaysia racial racial tensions and this girl with uh who has mental health things at the time she has a thought she has OCD, but at the time that they, they her society perceives it as a, a jinn, a demon inside her, yeah. kind of. So it's the historical fiction perception that you know what I mean. Like so, that book is always fascinating to me because it seems so unique. Because I'm like, I haven't read any other book about that time or NYA that is so electric. So I, I'm not saying that this one, Last Night at the Telegraph Club, is exactly like that, but it, I'm very intrigued that I'm like, it's a different time in history that's not covered as much and it's not hidden history but it's not that well recorded history as like the normal mainstream eurocentric kind of thing so i'm very excited to read this one and i hope you guys kind of want to read it and listen to it well i think 
also yeah. what we're talking around is that history is often the history that you learn in school is also kind of is is very racist and white centric like let's just let's just say that that's that's the elephant in the room yeah and, and those two books that we're talking about like are written by people of asian descent so yeah. you have it's in these are own voices books um the one that happened in malaysia like i didn't even know about that until we read it and then i went and did like a little bit of research mm-hmm. like i think i it had come up like when i maybe a little bit when i did like my archival studies on some stuff but for that collection i was working on but like again i was so many it was like a whole like like scatterboard of like just different countries and like different little things here and there so like i was you know and i couldn't read everything so i was just processing to try and get through it anyway that's neither here nor there but like yeah and like this book like we know these things existed but people just don't talk about it and i'm like why aren't we talking about it this is a problem um so yeah so i think it's cool i don't think we've really ever reckoned with a lot of the damage done during the cold war and the red scare because did a lot of harm that we still see um that we have seen in the past couple weeks too with the uh murders that happened uh of asian americans in atlanta so um yeah we still got a lot of work to do basically white people stop being so terrible i will say of the like red scare type books that i've read from like the 1950s i feel like a lot of them are framed with a white male main character they are Um, they totally are and they're also often very middle grade. So it's a limited uh, narrator. So it's not an omniscient narrator. It's, I know we read one, I can't remember the names of them, I'll probably put it in the, in the notes. It's just a limited narrator's thing. And it's like a mystery. And it's like that boy realizing things and realizing the world, they're going from the transition of boyhood to manhood, which sounds super awkward to say. But yeah, but they're not even really thinking about maybe racial tensions. They're not thinking about black or Asian or other communities, they're like, I'm used to white bread, wonder bread and waking up and wait a minute, what could happen? Or my dad's boss is asking for weird things. It's, it's yes. I want more books about this time, not centered on the white male narrative. Those books just always make me think of like, they're going to go hide in their bomb shelter later. Like those are, those are the the narratives. I feel like they most definitely are about their bomb shelters <laughs> actually they usually have a hidden bomb shelter that they're like don't tell anyone in the neighborhood but we have a bomb shelter all right um so but yes but yeah so everyone should read last night at the telegraph club it's really good it like you really do feel like you're in chinatown um in parts of san francisco like the description is so great i love it it's so good all right let's talk about your book okay so continuing with your theme of being true to yourself with an lgbtq character and kind of finding yourself finding your voice my Teen Meters Unite book discussion group just read the other week, Can't Take That Away by Stephen Salvatore. Ta-da. It got published on March 9th, uh, 2021. So Can't Take That Away by Stephen Salvatore. It is, I would say it's for grades eight and higher. Looking at the publisher, they recommend for grades seven to nine, which I don't quite agree with. Some reviewers suggested for grades seven and up. Some said for grades nine and up. I think grades eight and up knowing that there's um, content warnings, if you, you know, if you need to be aware of, I think that's a good sweet spot. I'm never going to tell you not to read something. I will say again, if it makes you uncomfortable, that's fine. Don't do it. The publisher is Bloomsbury. Thank you so much to Bloomsbury. So the official publisher book blurb, 
This is an empowering and emotional debut about a genderqueer teen who finds the courage to stand up and speak out for equality when they are discriminated against by their high school administration. Carrie Parker dreams of being a diva and bringing the house down with song. They can hit every note of all the top pop and Broadway hits, but despite their talent, emotional scars from an incident with a homophobic classmate and their grandmother's spiraling dementia make it harder and harder for Carrie to find their voice. Then Carrie meets Chris, a singer-guitarist who makes Carrie feel seen for the first time in their life. With the rush of a promising new romantic relationship, Carrie finds the confidence to audition for the role of Elphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West, in the school musical setting off a chain reaction of prejudice by Carrie's tormentor and others in the school. It's up to Carrie, Chris, and their friends to defend their rights, and they refuse to be silenced. Told in alternating chapters with identifying pronouns, debut author Stephen Salvatore's Can't Take That Away conducts a powerful, uplifting anthem, a swoony romance, and an affirmation of self-identity that will ignite the activist in all of us. That promises a lot. It does. I'm not going to lie. But guess what? It delivered. I loved it. Okay. <laughs> this is like, I feel like we should just make a tick marks for every theater book that comes out. Cause I feel like it's becoming a new, it's becoming a new sub genre in YA and I'm totally here for it. I'm sorry. Gay musicals. I'm here for a gay theater. Cause sometimes it's not always a musical. I will uh, cover content warnings. There are a lot and some I kind of crossed over just because they, they, they kind of overlap. So there was definitely bullying. There is misgendering. Uh, done by a bully student uh, character, but also a teacher, specifically because they would keep saying this boy, this boy. So it was it's not accidental, but purposely. Grief, forced outing, somewhat of a blackmail situation, gender dysphoria, a uh, hate crime, homophobia, transphobia, queerphobia. We cover all the phobias there. Assault, including verbal, physical, and somewhat sexual. Suicide ideation and attempt so i will say when we did this book discussion this group is for teens in grades 7 to 12 and i had a sixth grader say i can read this book i totally got this and i i hadn't um known her previously what her reading level was and i i did say i put a content warning on for my for my teens in general regardless of their grade even for my seventh graders because i thought really it was a grade eight and up um i had all nine teens show up they were the kids who signed up were into it but I am glad that I said, when this book comes out, you're welcome to read it if that's something you want to choose. But for this discussion group, I am keeping it to for the age group, which I, I do feel good with. But if, the, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I forgot. My book has a forced outing as well. I think because I am part of the LGBT community, I just like lump that under the umbrella of homophobia. Yes. But yeah, that is a, a key part of the book. Uh, but I don't want to talk about I didn't want to talk about it because it gets spoilery. I know it, it's it's a thing, but this it's this is framed as a memory kind of. There's a lot of there's a lot of memory throwbacks, and Carrie does a good job at hiding what they don't want you to know until they want you to know it with their memories and in the story. Because you're like, wait a minute, what happened? How? What happened? How? Okay, what is this book about? Ish everything. This book has fashion, romance, old racist, misogynistic, homophobic teacher, therapy, supportive family, found family. Wicked the Musical, Mariah Carey, everything. So <laughs> I love it. Um, it. It felt, it covered so many boxes. It was delightful. So this is an empowering story of a genderqueer teen, Carrie, who finds the courage to stand up and speak out for equality. So we have our social justice piece. They are discriminated against by their high school administration. 
because they came out the previous year when they were a, I think it was a sophomore, but don't judge me on the years. I never keep years straight. So this administration knows that they are genderqueer and with their, their pronouns, they usually could be they, them. Some days they wake up feeling he, him. Some days they wake up feeling she, her. It depends. There is an awesome teacher, Mr. Kelly, who is an out uh, and proud queer teacher uh, who has a gay partner. And that is Carrie's really supportive school figure that they can turn to um, when things, when Max, the bully is acting up because of course they're in the same class, which shouldn't happen if the administration was really supportive. But anyway, the teacher also gets them a, a bracelet where they could choose to wear a pink bracelet on days they feel more feminine. They could choose to wear a blue bracelet when they choose to feel more masculine or the green, white, purple kind of gender fluid kind of bracelet. Now, will that mean anything to people that have no idea? No. Does that mean the world to carry? Yes. Does that mean the world to carry that someone, an adult community person cares? Yes. And uh, Carrie's friends can like look at it and be like, oh, hey, cool. You're more this today. Besides seeing how Carrie is like code dressing. As I said, Carrie's our main character, wants to be a diva. Mom named named them after Mariah Carey. Definitely spelled it that way. Um, a beautiful, amazing voice. Stopped singing in the beginning. Literally lost their voice because of an incident, which I won't say, though you could probably guess some things. I think Stephen Salvatore did a good job uh, defining, like, for those who might not know or for those who do know, gender fluid was described as a person who does not identify themselves as having a fixed gender for any of our listeners who might not know. Some days they use they, them pronouns, sometimes he, her, he, him, she, her. Carrie also describes themselves as an androsexual. So sexual attraction towards men, males, and or masculinity, um, regardless of whether they're assigned male at birth. So when they meet Chris, a really cute, beautiful voiced uh, Filipino boy who likes boys, who is dealing with his own grieving issues. Um, that's a beautiful, romantic part of our story. Are there misunderstandings? Yes. Do they grow as people? Yes. It would. There is Max, our super two-dimensional homophobic bully. He is a driving force of the plot, you know, but then again, you have to have the villain. I will say I love the secondary characters. When they, when everyone uh, auditions for the play, uh, Carrie goes to the audition for Alphaba with Chris's support and Chris gets a part in the play. Uh, won't do what? Uh, Phoebe comes out and Carrie's like, oh, I should just go away because Phoebe is, is this beautiful black girl with dark skin who's had actual Broadway experience. She is like the Hermione. She is smart, like almost valedictorian. Like she is pretty much perfect. And Carrie doesn't really know her. And they're like, oh, I should just leave. But they become besties at the audition. And Phoebe's like, oh, a green black um, alphabet. It's been done. I want to be the first black Galinda. I want to be. So Phoebe is like my favorite is ever. I want to be her friend, just saying. There's also great characters of Monroe. That is Carrie's BFF, fiercely protective of them. They have a, uh, Monroe has a, a twin sister who's like the sports ball basketball player going to be in the WNBA who also has a whole subplot. Um, it's not just a one book issue. So it does have lots of issues. Again, in the beginning, Carrie doesn't want to take a stand. They just want to be, they want to be left alone. Uh, they're being bullied. They're like, I just want to be. But eventually, Carrie finds the power in trying to find their voice, literally and figuratively, to be allowed to play Alphaba. And also, there's a larger issues of having a safe high school, safe to be a queer kid, not just to be misgendered, but just to not feel like you could not ha to physically feel safe. I don't want to give 
things away, not just for themselves, but for the secretly queer kids that are there now or for the future queer kids or kids in general, not just for LGBTQ. This did remind me of um, Jennifer Mathau's Moxie. Monroe super was like Moxie prototype because she had fought the, um, the sexist dress code the previous year. She was a crop top. She works at the record store. Love her. Nice. I just, right? I'm I just, here for that. I love it so much. And it also reminded me a little bit of Dress Coded by Carrie Firestone, which was more of a middle grade thing about that. So again, I see references. I'm like, I love it. It's more about doing things not just for you, but doing it for the future people to come through. So I love it. Why did I like this book? So this book had a lot in it. It's not just a drama. It's not just a comedy. It's like a dramedy. It has the sweetest romantic moments of, am I finding someone that loves me, that loves me for who I am, which has whole other layers for a gender fluid kid and all the questioning things and the gender dysphoria. But it also has the moments of like this intense snot dripping down your face, ugly crying, grieving for loss of someone. Also moments of I've made a huge mistake. It has those moments and it balances them really nicely. We could have discussed this book in our in our true discussion for a whole another hour. We kind of did a little bit. It balances a strong social justice theme against fighting against homophobia with also there's the teacher is the teacher and the bully are homophobic, misogynistic and racist. Great. It's a good triad, huh? My teens discuss how it's a little bit of a trope to have a big social media protest, but I did play devil's advocate to say that maybe the author wanted to inspire you to feel like you could start small and you could have a change. You know what I mean? Like you can inspire them a little bit. Yeah. Not to feel like this is the way it is and I have to take it. So I'm like, there is that. And I also referenced that sometimes it takes a year or two for books to get published. So when it feels like three or four books come out with the same kind of big grand ending of, oh my God, we're going to do the big protest. Like they might, they were working on it at the same time. Uh, representation. This book does a really good multicultural representation. Looking at the Goodread reviews, a lot of, of reviewers mentioned that we have a Filipino, a Latinx character, black characters, all different. They're not played to be stereotypes. They just feel real and fleshed out. Also, like I said, I want to be Phoebe's friend, giving her number, Stephen Salvatore. The adults, surprisingly, act and sound like adults, except for the like Scooby-Doo crotchety old racist, misogynistic, um, homophobic teacher, Mr. Jackson. He's the worst. We all can agree. But again, having that positive uh, teacher, Mr. Kelly, the out gay teacher, was awesome. So it was a good balance of of real voices from a debut author, which asterisk, super awesome, super hard. And there is even a very small tie to yours, not really. Uh, grandma Rosemary uh, has Alzheimer's. That's Carrie's grandma. And that's a hard thing to watch someone you love slowly lose their memories, their mind. And it was her passion um for singing that inspired carrie and she was the first one that believed in them that said like sing it kid like go ahead sing and she had dreams and i forget her time because i always think i'm getting older and i always think everything is like 50s 60s 70s and and that the stays the same but she when she was young she just sang all the time and she could have been big but she gave it up her dreams because she took something as a sign and so she never had, she had that thwarted dream of like, oh, I'll just have a family and I, I can't do this. Also positive mental health uh, issues and therapy being discussed on page. Realistically, um, we get to see Carrie, the therapist, Dr. Potter, on their journey through the dark parts, uh, consistent work, practice, re- 
reaffirmations, mess ups, practice again. Um, and the best thing that Dr. Potter gives to Carrie is you have everything you need. That's a motto. Like I have everything I need. I have everything I need, whether it's your voice for the addition, whether it's skills that you need to deal with hardship is that you are enough. And my last point of why I love this book is the author, um, Stephen Salvatore, debut author, um, educator, Mariah Carey Lamb, Star Wars fanatic, spends most of their days daydreaming and making up stories. They are queer, gay, and genderqueer, and they use the pronouns he, him, they, them. They are awesome. Their uh, Instagram is at Stephen Salvatore. I've been creeping on them for like two months or so. That's not creepy. I've been a fan of Stephen Salvatore for a month or two. They are very accessible. This last week, I commented something, uh, I think on Bloomsbury's page, saying, oh, my teens really loved your discussion. And they wrote back saying, hey, anytime your teens want to talk, I can. I know, just accessible, like super cool. And I don't think that was just talking talk because I was just looking up something on an older post recently. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to say their username, but we're just going to call them Cole. So looking at the comments this morning on a totally different post, um, Cole, someone on Instagram said, they, hey, I want a copy of this brand new book. And and uh, they just came out as non-binary and they can't wait to read it and listen to his listen to <laughs> listen to Stephen's Mariah Carey Spotify playlist to companion read because that is a big deal. Stephen replied like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And they Cole said he came out as non-binary. And then Stephen said, anytime you want, my DMs are open. Please reach out to me. So I feel like they're they're honestly they're very open and like they're just there that's really great like i i'm excited to try and read this book i also have a kid in mind that i think would really really love it yeah i'm really excited we're getting more books like this my only question is it might be a little bit of a spoiler but like do the racist homophobic bullies get like come up and like is there any Okay, because that's my biggest problem with Simon versus the Homo Sapiens is that um, the bully never actually gets um, any type of like punishment. He's allowed to be a homophobic jerk. That's that's it. Like nothing really happens to him. There's no school punishment. Like the friends kind of possibly shun him a little bit, but like nothing bad happens to him. And I've always hated that. Like when I finished that book, I was so unsettled because of this. I was like, I hate this so much. Oh, we talk about comeuppance. Like there is, right? Because because that's what I want. Yeah, you want justice. You want there to be justice. Now we talked about how it comes about that we had discussions. Like teens want justice in those books too, because they often don't get that justice in their life with yes. school. Like I hear so many times of like, "Oh, this happened to me at school." I'm like, "Well, did you report it?" And they're like. Well, yeah, but nobody cares. Like it's, you know, or like it's it's not the right person or the administration says a lot of stuff, but their actions are actually like, not supportive of things. Yeah. Cuz like you can say all the positive like branding message for diversity inclusion as you want, but it's mm-hmm. if you aren't dismantling those systematic problems, you're not an ally. You're still part of like the racist, homophobic, transphobic structures. Like let's exactly. just, let's just talk yes. about that. Like that's that's part of it. Like what are you doing today to dismantle the patriarchy? <laughs> like and that that is very fascinating because we talked about we always like talk about our favorite and least favorite characters. And in our least favorite characters, we have the homophobic, racist, misogynistic teacher, old teacher who's tenured, Mr. Jackson. We have the homophobic bully, Max, and we also have. Mac- the principal and the least favorite character for most of the teens was actually a principal principal Kelly was calling because she gave face like yeah i feel sympathetic to what you're doing 
But because there was a tenured teacher, she's like, well, can't do much about it. Like we're, I'm sympathetic to your cause, but I'm not actively taking steps to for your safety. I'm not taking steps to like make sure they gender you properly. I'm not, or use your right pronouns. I'm not taking, so like it was like face value allyship that wasn't even allyship. That was the character the teens most hated. And I have a lot of very passionate um, allies and a lot of um, LGBT teens on this. And they thought that was the the worst, actually more than the straight up honest, air quote, honest, open uh, teacher and bully was the like, I'd love to help you. Um, my hands are dying. That, that infuriated them the most, which I'm sure is what they encounter more. I mean, I'm sure they get the bald face straight up in your face, but I, I think the most like, oh, you know, sorry, I can't help you. Oh yeah, that's what I have encountered. The, that's always like the worst for me. It's those microaggressions. It's the passive aggressive. It's that I'm going to tell you this thing that makes me seem like I'm filling out my LGBT allyship bingo card, but I'm not actually going to do any actions to back it up. Exactly. This book is awesome and amazing. If you want a book that gives you feels and also makes you want to listen to Mariah Carey music, I had to pop that on. And I had to go back and listen to the whole Wicked soundtrack. I had to. I asked the teens, have who hasn't listened to Wicked soundtrack after listening to this? And half of them had never heard it. I'm oh, like, how is that possible? Well, I don't know. we're a little older. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fine. They're the Hamilton generation. But yeah, like that's one of the things I don't think I talk about enough in my book, but like the relationship between Kath and Lily is so good because Kath also wants to be a pilot. So she Ooh. she wants to, she's like, oh, what if I fly the shuttles and you design them to they take me to the, take me to Mars or the moon? Like they have, take me to the moon. yeah. And so they have like this otherness that like, you know, that only the two of them really understand and get. And it's just like so incredibly sweet. And like the way they care for each other too. But they, like I said, a lot of this book is too like, how do I have words for things I don't even understand what I'm feeling? Like, and it's just, it's so, it's so good. The way Melinda Lowe writes it, it's so amazing. Anyway, I'm hyped to read your book. It's been on my to be to read. I actually tried to get an arc of this and I didn't get it. <laughs> I have a spare one. Ooh. I literally talked my feels out on this book. I exhausted. I went through the whole journey of my book again. And it's, it's awesome. I love it. I, and there's so many good books that, have come out around this time. Like we also talked about Bedazzled by Ryan LaSala, which I loved, but this one was a little more complicated in that it was actually set in a high school where there were friends and enemies. Bedazzled was very Comic-Con meets Project Runway in an art studio, lacking a friend stuff. I, I, I liked the contemporary real world complicatedness of it. So yeah, if you, if you need an escapist book, this might not be it, but if you want a book to make you feel the feels, this one is the one. And I can't wait to read your book, Miss Mary. It's gone to the top of my ebook pile. And I usually end up reading your books, too. I'm, I'm mostly caught up with Mary's recommendations that I haven't read yet. Yeah, I feel bad. I'm not caught up with your recommendations at all. But I have, like, given books that you've recommended to kids because, like, I know what they're about now. <laughs> so yeah. as opposed to, like, this cover's great, and I, like, fake book talk it. Because I think we all do the fake book talk sometimes of like we read the book blurb real quickly and we're like, oh, yeah, so try this one. Um, it's one of my best efforts. I can't read every book. I'm trying, but I can't read, listen or read every graphic novel. I know. It's not possible. And I have to pivot this weekend and read the book for the adult book club. Of course, I'm like looking at um, a couple books I just checked out that I'm like, oh, but I have Thirsty Mermaids, the new graphic novel by Kate Lay, um, who we talked about her Snapdragon uh last time and like that's more of like a i think it's like a more of an upper teen adult book i haven't actually read it yet and then i've also got like 
uh, Beetle and the Hollow Bones, which is a middle grade graphic that I've been wanting to read forever. And I loved it. That's so cute. Yeah. And I still need to read Dahlia Adler's um, new book because I have an arc of that one that just came out. Actually, it's not, it hasn't come out yet. I'm very excited about it. And you know what just came in the mail yesterday? Do you hmm. know the new Shakespeare anthology that's coming out? No. Yeah. So Dahlia Adler put it together. Um, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it's this one. All right. So she also did the anthology for His Hideous Heart. 13 of mm. Edgar Allan's Poe's Most Unsettling Tales Reimagined. Um, this one she edited is called That Way Madness Lies, 15 of Shakespeare's Most Notable Works. And mm. um, there was an independent bookshelf I, or bookstore I was able to get it from. So I got like some authors' um, autographs on there too. So I'm pretty excited about that. So yeah, so it's got Daya Adler's in it. I don't know if you've read her stuff. Um, Kayla Ankrum, Lily Anderson, Melissa Barshadost, um, Patrice Caldwell, also A.R. Capetta and Corey McCarthy, who we love their book, Once in Future, Brittany Cavallero, Joy McCullough, Anna Marie McLemore, um, Samantha Mabry, to- um, Tochi Anabuchi, Marcus Shiro, Lindsay Smith, Kirsten White, and Emily Wiberly and Austin Siegmund Broca. So I'm pretty hyped to read this. Maybe we'll even cover it on the book jam because we've never done an anthology books b- reviews before. No, no, but I do read them every once in a while. I'm like, oh yeah. There's so many that are so good too. Cause there's like all out, there's the hideous heart. There's also, there's, there's like a ton of them. Um, I don't think they always circulate as well because I think like you have to hand sell them to the kids, but there's nothing wrong with reading short stories. Short stories are great. Cause if you don't really like one, you just flip to the next one. So are you like, Oh, I'm not in the mood for this. I'll come back to it later. Oh, I did figure out one of the uh, red scare communism books was suspect read by LM Elliot. I that's one that we gave- both read. Yes. So I have a team that loves historical fiction and they have um, decided they have moved out of World War II Holocaust uh, historical fiction and have moved into historical fiction or not historical for them. Uh, Cold War fiction, um, which is so frustrating because like we don't have a ton of YA Cold War fiction and I don't really feel like most of it's that great, to be honest. So I'm really excited. So they are reading that book right now. And then I'm really excited to, um, give them last night at the telegraph club because it'll be completely different so very different yes so and and some of the stuff they've been talking about i think is more in like the 1950s because i was like do you want 1980s cold war do you want like 70 like 70 like what do you it was just like you know a lot of nuclear arms race can like like paranoia and they were like well i think i want 1950s i was like okay so you're just still walking down your timeline i think is what's going on all right, don't forget to rate us on iTunes or any podcaster of choice that gives you a rating. Please rate us. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the show. If you don't like the new format, let us know. If you do like the new format, let us know. I think we still talk too long, so we'll work on shortening that up. Follow us on the Book Jam 1 on both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on the Book Jam. You just, you just got, got jammed. jammed.